0: Hello, everybody. This is Dan Woods at Early Adopter Research, and today we're going to talk about how to understand the essence of robotic process automation, that is RPA, so you can make it work for you. This is, of course, the Designing Enterprise Platforms podcast, and what we do here is we try to understand how to build product-based platforms to solve key problems inside the IT complex at large and small and medium-sized companies. Today, we're talking to Alan Anderson, Director of Enterprise Solutions at IPsoft, one of the leading vendors in a space that is hard to exactly explain, but does include RPA, also includes conversational AI. And I would say that arguably, it also includes uh, low code as well. But uh, that's what we're gonna talk about today is how to understand it. Um, The reason I wanna do this is that RPA has become really popular as companies have tried to expand automation throughout uh, the front office. And so we've had lots and lots of solutions focused on the back office, and RPA is explicitly focused on helping expand automation to people who are usually, you know, uh, using software. And so the idea is that... uh Many different systems can be tied together using these methods. And, and so what's, what's interesting to me about this is that there are very many different approaches to what people call RPA. There are very many different ways of actually attacking this problem. And so it's really uh, kind of amazing how different you know, some of the RPA vendors approach the problem and how they implement things so that's what we're going to talk today is how alan sees this how ipsoft take uh what their perspective is and we're of course going to go over some of the core dogmas that define the space and uh and also some of the the details of how uh, ipsoft does things so alan welcome to the podcast thank you so the first thing i want to talk about is you know what i call the core dogmas now as part of my research process, I think it's really uh, the, the best way to understand a space is to identify the core beliefs that that space has about the market and then to examine, you know, uh, how each company uh, eventually, you know, has different core beliefs. So usually in a space, there are a set of core beliefs that are shared by all the vendors. I call those core dogmas. And then at some point, the, the vendors differ in the way they believe the right solution be, should be constructed. So Uh, The the core dogmas for robotic process automation, or RPA, are essentially that there's a huge opportunity for automation in the front office. That that automation uh, is going to have to be intermediated by a lot of different uh, techniques, not just APIs, but the ability to control uh, software systems using uh, screen scraping or other kind of automation so that. You can get access to systems without having to have a formal API that the business users have to be heavily involved in conceiving of and implementing uh, these automations and that these automations can eventually become either companions or, uh, you know, digital workers on their own, uh, you know, automating significant amount of work that otherwise, you know, would have to take place manually. Do you think that that pretty much captures what most RPA vendors believe and and are trying to do?
1: Yeah, I think that it it does a good job at that. I think there are other things that that are also um, sort of core things for the um, let's put like sort of the core RPA vendors in in one, and that is that they're trying to do things that are going to be uh, fairly easy for um uh, for the business to actually get done, so that they don't have to have um, engineers with, um, um, programming skills and, and so forth. So, so, so they're, they're trying to actually do things, uh, in a fairly easy way by using the existing applications. So there's relatively, uh, little disruption, uh, to the processes that people have today. Um, and, and that's a big plus for, for RPA. It's, it's one of the things that we say it's a, it, it actually is a, um, relatively easy tool to get started with. So that that's one of the uh, sort of the big selling arguments of of RPA's that they're trying to do. Now that does come with, with some um, um, uh, some uh, negatives as well, um, because whenever you do um, uh, UI work, um, and they have gotten an awful lot better from what started out as what we call desktop automation, um, but sometimes things break. Um, and and it breaks because there are changes in the environment. Um, there are sometimes new applications coming out where the fields are being renamed or the function is completely different. Um, and so so it becomes a little bit harder to maintain sometimes um, and you need to go back in and actually redo the work. Um, so sometimes RPAs are kind of like a, a band-aid, but you do need a band-aid from time to time and sometimes, you, you, after a while, you choose to rip off that Band-Aid and probably do it in a more uh, better way. You mentioned APIs as part of robotic process automation. It's usually mostly UIs that, that they deal with. But, yes, APIs is a much more stable, um, um, backwards-compatible way of actually doing the integrations and the robotic sort of process automation inside of these applications.
0: Got it. And so – the idea uh is that for IP soft especially is that uh it's great to be able to do the desktop automations. And as you pointed out, if you use um, uh mechanisms that you know are creating an accessible way to to get to software through the UI, that can be brittle. You know, when the UI changes or something like that happens, you know, you have to to, to change your 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 access method. But but the idea is that you know, there's a front office-y sort of feel to a lot of the product automations that they're done. Now, IPsoft is essentially arguing that it's also important to be able to kind of have those automations be complex enough to kind of take a step into the back office. And so you're not just doing desktop automation type things, but you're doing much more, you know, complicated API-driven often uh, uh, automations that are are you know uh, doing uh, uh, something that would go beyond you know what we, you would consider just a front office problem and 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 automating something that would be uh, you know much more complex and robust and so in this way I think that IPSoft kind of takes a step into the low code you know world which a lot of times is about you know creating applications that glue everything together and provide a significant amount of automation. Um, how would you distinguish between, you know, like a desktop only sort of automation in RPA and something that's a little bit more robust that, that enters, you know, what I'm calling the back office or the low code space?
1: Well, I think that there's there's a huge difference between the two approaches. Like one is um, uh, sort of the, what you call the front office or the more RPA style model is where you generally create bots that have, um, that uh, does what humans are doing today, but they, they just do it faster and cheaper and, and so forth. So there's, there's a lot of, um, sort of immediate potential savings in that. When you go into the more, um, complete end to end automation where you involve lots of back end systems, where you involve potentially APIs, um, and where you even involve potentially uh, replacing the human that is actually having a dialogue that's where we get into conversational interfaces, Uh, you can run an entire end-to-end process. And when you do that, you also have the opportunity to say, how should we actually do this? So you have an ability to rethink and reimagine how things actually should be done when you can do them with pure technology through integrations, robotic process automation, um, uh, command line interfaces, conversational interfaces, all of those technologies now start working together to redefine the process that you have. And now you've actually reimagined how your company can run and how the process can be executed. And it has a much, much bigger impact on on this than writing a couple of bots that that go in and, and, and save some money for data entry or faster process uh, automation.
0: Right. And so what you're saying is that if you create a more substantial automation that you know uh, is more robust, complex, larger scope, and you guys do that with your digital finite state machine technology, yeah. you are then able to uh, essentially automate you know intelligent workers and be and, and have somebody like that would be a DBA role, for example, instead of having that DBA role have a companion, you know, uh, kind of chatbot that would help, you know, make recommendations, it would actually do the work of the DBA instead. Correct. Yeah, yeah. and and we've
1: actually been been doing that for almost uh, 15 years now with uh, primarily IT things. But if you start looking at the business side of this, uh, our conversational intelligence, which we call Amelia, um, have actually been selling uh, car insurance for over two years.
0: Right, and so, and so that's the that's the third thing I think we want to talk about. Yeah. So let's so let's 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 just recap what we've talked about so far. The traditional RPA has generally been focused on desktop automation, front office tasks. Uh, your point of view is that they're um, they're they're less um, uh, 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 they're, their scope is smaller and that they they have less impact. The, the idea of IPsoft's IP center technology is that it implements digital finite state machines, which can do much broader, more robust automation of larger, more complex tasks. And so that's one way that you would distinguish yourself from the, the, the traditional RPA vendors. Now, we, we, we talked about the, the idea of like having a companion bot or, or, or something to a worker where it's suggesting things or whether it's, it's helping to do certain things you now believe that the next step is to take that automation that you've delivered and to have an intelligent layer that can interact not just internally with people, but also with the customer. And that's your Amelia conversational AI technology.
1: Yes. So you can imagine if, if in this case here that I mentioned before, selling, selling car insurance, which is probably a 10 to 15 minute process where uh, Amelia has the conversation uh, can, can context switch, can explain things, uh, and then eventually are actually able to sell, uh, sell the insurance by interacting with all the backend systems. Now, here's the difference between, uh, what I think from an RPA technology, because you do need RPA from time to time. But keep in mind, RPA is slightly slower than APIs. So, uh, usually, um, RPAs will go in into a desktop application or into a web application, start filling it out. They're faster than humans, but they still take seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds, 25 seconds. When you're dealing with a uh, a human on the other end and you're saying, let me enter all this information for you, for, that I'm getting from you so that I can actually go and, and get you a quote for this car insurance or I can... Add your wife to, uh, to the policy or your, your son that just turned 18. Whatever it is that people are trying to do with, with talking with Amelia or texting with Amelia, she can say, Oh, it's going to take me 25 seconds now to do that. That's where APIs come in on a much more important. And most of these enterprise systems anyway have full API access because you've done that either from a mobile perspective or from a web perspective already. You had to sort of build those APIs around your core applications. And and that's where we're going and seeing that it becomes a complete transformation of, of your company. And what what our dogma really is here is that we want to focus on the end-to-end automation and and not just sort of piecemeal uh, bots that can that can go in and, and save a lot of money, but we really want to look at the entire process, the entire journey that people are going through and automated it end-to-end. Got it.
0: So the idea is that, that, that you're saying that the advantage of having this larger, more robust automation is that you can do much more complicated end-to-end processes and have multiple of these things working together or have layers of them or, or, or whatever you need. And then you can expose that, you know, in a conversational AI that is, that actually because it has enough semantics and enough capabilities underneath it, can actually do a complicated thing like sell insurance, you know, in a completely unintermediated way. Now the, yeah. the, the, the challenge there is that you do, in order to do this, you do have to have developers, you know, developing the, 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 the digital workers, you know, the, the automation yeah. that is um, there. And so it's, it, this is not going to be a do it yourself sort of self-service thing completely, but it couldn't be because the, the solutions are, are too complicated to allow that yeah well you need you do need some uh some
1: developers so um the the actual team that gets put together um to uh implement something like like amelia um yes you do need some uh developers because you're going to likely integrate amelia into backend systems whether that is your c r m systems or it's your uh sort of systems of records like an s a p or or the, or other technologies where uh, she needs to act just like a user, except she does it through a programmatical interface. Um, but more of the core teachings of Amelia is actually done by um sort of more uh, business SMEs as well that are, are teaching her the process, teaching her how to recognize the various things that she needs to do, and then also building in the flexibility. So Amelia is not a... um it's uh, sort of one of your run of the mills chatbots which uses a decision tree to go and ask you about things, um it becomes a lot more uh complex when you actually have these 10 to 15 minutes uh of conversations with with individuals uh, because they ask for certain things in the middle of a sentence, they change their mind, they uh they go back and say, no, you know what, maybe um maybe I should get the uh the higher in insurance rate here. Uh, because I'm adding my son uh, to the policies. So now you go back and actually make changes to it. Those are actually fairly complex to understand. Uh, humans understand them very well, but most chatbots that follow just this, this uh, simple decision tree will go in and say, well, I'm kind of stuck here. Let me escalate
0: now. Right. right. So so, so that, well, that's
1: what we have spent our time on developing.
0: Yeah. And so w- what, what I still don't understand about this is, 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 you create the, the um, uh, digital finite state machines in the IP center layer. You know, though that layer does resolve, revolve around training as well. It observes what people do, and it's not a completely programmed method. It does, uh, you know, it can uh, observe uh, actions and then suggest automations. It's not only a programmatic, you know, way, although it, it can be programmed as well. Um, yeah. and then the other thing that 's interesting about IPsoft is that when an exception is declared, it can actually observe what the person resolving the exception does and then start to see if it can find patterns in that those resolutions so it can expand the automations either by suggesting you know uh, that a programmer jump in or suggesting that the automation be improved in a certain way. You have a richer semantic model that is also glued to the capabilities of the digital finite state machines. And in some way, Amelia understands what, you know, those capabilities are so that it can understand when something changes, how to go back. I still don't understand how that richer semantic model gets developed and how Amelia then puts it to use to do these more advanced conversational AI type interactions. So there are, um, and and
1: this is actually one of the key things about Amelia. Amelia is not a um, a simple one-trick pony from from a chatbot perspective, right? So she goes in, she has multiple parts to her brain. Um, the first thing that that um, any any uh, virtual agent or chatbot would do is try and decipher the uh, the intent, what people want to uh, want to do. Now. Uh, Very importantly, there can be multiple intents, there can be intents that kind of come before. So you may say, I wanna do certain things, but before you can do that, something else actually has to happen. So having that understanding and logic around uh, multiple levels of intents is is very, very important. Um, The second layer is when Amelia actually goes and integrates into the, uh, the business process. So now she will follow sort of a slightly more rigid but still flexible way of handling the situations. So that may be that she uh, requests information. Uh, she can, by the way, go into underlying systems and potentially see what type of information she needs to request from from people. Um, uh, she may actually go to her episodic memory and find out if if somebody asks a question uh, that has been asked before, how do i really answer that how do i go back in and now try and do a clarifying question so it's not a it's not a straightforward thinking of of amelia to go through this she has a goal obviously but she has many ways to fulfill that goal which in in the case of her having to execute certain things in back end systems we um we actually call um sort of it's a um it's a certain amount of data that she needs to uh collect And uh, once she's collected that information, she'll be able to do it. Now, the other key element to Amelia, and this is what makes it possible for you to actually have a longer standing conversation with you, is she can control what you see on the screen. So if you're chatting with her over the web, or if you are on a mobile platform with her, she can start showing you things. And that allows you to make decisions on what you see on the screen and that also furthers this this sort of dialogue. But yes, it's a little bit more complex than just a simple intent mapping and then a decision tree that can actually go in and do things for you. The dialogue that we, the, the, the flow of the dialogue is is very important for us to be very dynamic because natural conversation is very dynamic in that way.
0: Well, so, so, so there's multiple so, parts of the brain. Yeah, so I'm still not quite getting it. And so... Let's say that I've done a bunch of, uh, digital, um, uh, finite state machines, you know, uh, digital workers, whatever you would like to call them, and that they can help me, um, uh, implement an auto insurance, you know, policy. And maybe it starts out where, uh, a person who's, you know, a call center rep or whatever uses this technology, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, can automate a lot of things that they would otherwise have to do in 20 or 30 steps. Okay, great. That's starting to work. And I've got I do that for three or four different steps of the the process. Great. So now I have this landscape of automation that could be orchestrated by something like Amelia. How do you then get Amelia to know what each part of those digital workers can do and how to direct the conversation? That's the part that I'm I'm like how does Amelia get started and then how does it get better? Well, so so Part
1: of what what we do is we actually go in and we, as you say, interview people, we uh, look at transcripts, we uh, we use a lot of existing uh, materials that people have, flow diagrams and other things, to initially teach Amelia how to follow the process. We usually call that a happy path. So in the case of uh, an IT problem, for instance, we would expect people to come in and say, I I uh, have forgotten my password uh, to this system. I need to get it reset
0: now. And then, then so, so when you teach that happy path, how do you actually teach it? Is there a programming language that you tell you 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 Underlying business process. Uh, we call it a business process network.
1: Uh, it is uh, semantically driven. Um, so it teaches Amelia how to work through uh, the steps. But there are steps. Now, Amelia can jump around in those steps, uh, so she doesn't need to follow it precisely. If she's already, let me give her an example. If she's already, uh, collected certain information from you, uh, let's say you, um, you wanted to get your, your password reset and you also mentioned the application that you needed to get a reset for, maybe saying that I'm, I forgot my password to SAP. Can you reset that? Um, now that she knows that it 's s a p she 's not going to ask for that right She may validate it uh with you but and you don 't need to explicitly teach her how to do those things so now she 's recognized it's s a p you need your password reset, and she will jump over that step, which is which application would you like me to reset your password for uh, but if you didn't give it, obviously she would ask for for that that question. So Amelia has the ability to more fluidly go through this conversation. She can also sometimes predict where it is that you're gonna go based on machine learning classifiers that are built into the process. So she may determine that based on your utterances and what it is that you're saying, she's very clear about what it is that you want to do and she will skip an awful lot of unnecessary steps and jump straight ahead to resolving your, your issue without going through and validating all sorts of, of things got it. That you so, need. So,
0: so, so, there's, so there's a business process network that provides the kind of underlying kind of uh, semantic understanding. And then there's a contextual understanding that's inside Amelia uh, that, that, uh, that, that lays on top of that, that can then navigate through that business process network.
1: Yes. And it also allows her to put, uh, potentially go in and, and do context switching. So you may have started down a path and then either, uh, that was the wrong path or, uh, you change your mind about certain things. So you have the ability to also go and, and have Amelia switch over to a completely different process. So it may be that I have lost my credit card and I call into Amelia and I say, could you please block my, my credit card? And then, in the mind of actually doing that, I suddenly realized, by the way, could you go and check my wife's uh, account uh, balance because now we're going to use her card instead. So before I finish the other thing, I now actually want to go over and check, check another account, which is a completely different process. And then once I have finished with that, Amelia will be able to go and say, do you still want to cancel your card? Yes, yeah. okay, let's
0: jump back to that. So oh, there's a there's a conversational right, there's a conversational uh, you know kind of intelligence on top of the business process network and that's the way it all comes together. Correct. And yeah. the inside of that is also lots of
1: other things around clarifying questions, elaborating questions that can be dyna- that will Amelia will use dynamically as part of this so that um, if people get stuck at certain places She'll be able to use other methods to help them go past these various things. Doesn't all have to be programmed because dialogue, human dialogue is not programmed. Got it.
0: And so just to recap, I think we're now able to to kind of uh, move on to the next uh, and next uh, phase of this talk and talk about some of the things that happened at the digital workplace summit that you had last week. Yeah. Uh, And, but before we do that, let me just sum up where we've gotten. And that is, RPA automation works just great you know to automate a variety of task oriented things in the front office that can happen with you know simple companion bots or you know digital worker type things that uh, uh, that actually automate you know tasks that are that are that are you know where where people would be interacting with large amount of systems to get something done but What makes IPsoft, uh, you know, really uh, 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 – the the problem that IPsoft is eager to solve is the one about really going deeper and automating these more substantial, wide-ranging processes, either by creating a a digital finite state machine, a digital worker that could uh, uh, replace or, or substantially replace a human expert from resolving many, many tasks. And also once you have a variety of these in place, you can then declare a business process network on top of it that will then help you, you know, explain how to actually do the work, you know, of larger scale processes, such as setting up an insurance, you you know, claim or setting up a new insurance policy. And then on top of that, the conversational AI of Amelia will allow a conversational interaction to take place on top of that business network. So it seems like there's three layers, the conversational AI context, the business process network orchestration, and then the the digital finite uh, machine automation. And that's what you're really offering in your one desk and IP center products. Yes.
1: And and um, and especially also the, the technology that's known as one desk actually combines this in completely new ways. We actually have a brand new technology as well. I do want to mention one thing that I think is important to understand is that what most of our customers are really focusing on uh, might initially be to do what they do today, faster, better, and cheaper, right? And maybe slightly different. But think about the opportunities that you could have by going into new markets, um, new services that you deliver, and new products that you deliver, if you can completely change the way that you support and service these products, right? So, so it's not just about doing what it is that you're doing today, but it's about t- taking advantage of these new technologies to do something that you couldn't have done before in a price competitive fashion, right? So using technology to change the way that you actually bring products to market, services to market, and then you compete in uh, with those products in existing and new markets.
0: Got it. So the biggest benefit comes from refactoring and doing some sort of digital transformation after you have the the core automation in place. Exactly, and once uh, it's very interesting, many of our customers that we've spoken
1: with, they may start out doing some of the simpler things like um, uh, working internally in IT. Amelia has many, many roles in that. Uh, or in HR or other internal things, or even customer-facing things, but then once they get to learn the technology and see what it can do, like lots of light bulbs happen in, in the company in areas that you never thought that this technology could actually be used, and that's when people start thinking a little bit out of the box, and you're doing some of this combinatorial innovation that um, is really setting companies apart
0: today. And by combinatorial informa- innovation, what do you mean? So think of, of how you add something like Amelia to
1: lots of other things um, um, mobile interfaces um, in um, if, if you are a bank how do you do some of these things with taking blockchain and, and financial uh, applications um, that you may may use together with a conversational intelligence so you're combining multiple things
0: oh okay.
1: Uh, so a, a good example of that is Uber, right? Uber combine, uh, GPS, rating systems, automatic payment systems, uh, with mobile interfaces and lots of great and awesome algorithms in the back end to optimize the journey and how they're bringing to better, uh, together, um, sort of a whole marketplace of drivers and, and people wanting to get driven around. And, and those things, all those, uh, technologies are kind of components that people are putting together in new and
0: efficient ways um, so that
1: they can go to market in a different way.
0: Got it. And, 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 and the combinatorial informa- innovation is something that I've uh, covered in my articles about uh, technology leverage, you know, and yeah. how, you know, the uh, Kurzweil analysis of how technology moves forward in an exponential way is based on first creating a layer of foundational services and then you create higher level services on top of those foundational services then you create even higher level services on top of those services and at each level when you go higher the service becomes more uh powerful but it also becomes more fit to the purpose uh that you have and you get more leverage out of it and so you know when you're you're dealing at these really high level services you can you know do you, you can orchestrate a lot of activity okay so that's that's great um so now let's talk about the digital workplace summit what did you guys do last week in uh, your digital workplace summit
1: so this was the third uh, uh dws as we call it and it um uh it the theme of the event was called realize and um i think uh first of all it was an amazing event. We had, uh, I think, over a 1,000 people registered for it. I'm not quite sure how many showed up, probably the nutrition, so maybe around 650 thereabouts. But um, the, the focus was really not on us uh, talking about our technology. It was about our customers really showcasing what it was that they were doing. And not only did several of the customers, like a Telefonica or a um, – uh, a BlackRock, uh, go and, and present uh, on stage about what they were doing, um, they actually had brought the technology along with them, and we had set up individual booths, sort of almost like a mini trade show, where these uh, customers and partners of ours were actually showcasing what they were doing uh, with the technology, the process that they had gone through, um the successes, the failures, the, uh, the gotchas, the, um, um, uh, the, the, now, when the light bulbs go up and so forth.
0: No, cause it, with a technology like this, you know, you have to understand how it fits into your, uh, landscape and, and how you are going to use it. And then, you know, what, where new responsibilities arise, because I recently wrote a paper for a low code vendor, um, about how, one of the secondary properties of implementing successfully a low code program is the fact that you now have to manage the faster pace of innovation, you know, that, 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 that the, you have the ability to do so many more things so more quickly that then the question is how do you create a, a process that can be like a project product management process, you know, field all the ideas that are coming in, orchestrate them, you know, so that they are implemented in, you know, in relevant clusters, and that you have a orderly process forward. Because it's when you're when you're changing things, you're not just changing the software, you're changing how people work. And that has to be communicated and documented, especially in, and that becomes especially challenging in you know, regulated and highly compliance driven industries. So now what were some of the problems that people ran into once they actually got, you know, the, the foundation of, uh, you know, IPsoft and OneDesk in place? Well, so I think that the uh,
1: one of the key um, i would call it challenges that people have up, up front is is um, choosing the right use cases right so um, what is it that they want uh, Amelia or Onedesk to actually do for them? Um, like uh, a lot of people early on, like I said started in in i t uh, she probably reset uh, more passwords than uh, than most large service desk uh, altogether. Um, but once you get into the business and you start looking at what use cases do you really want her to do, there has to be certain characteristics for actually achieving the ROI in something like that. Has to deal with volume, um, sometimes complexity, sometimes business impact, and um, and and then you. So so it's important that people choose the right things in order to get started, and sometimes. Um, we, we sit down with our, our customers and they just have something in mind that they really, really want to do. And sometimes that is great and awesome. And sometimes it's just not the, uh, not the best thing. We did have, um, so part of what Amelia does, for instance, is she can answer FAQs. But you could find a lot of ways where people can, can answer FAQs or look up knowledge databases. And basically it's an advanced semantic search, right? So it does have value, but it doesn't have a tremendous amount of value from, a, from our perspective. So if we were to say, can you look up a, a, some knowledge tools? Yes, she can do that. We really want Amelia to do that for you instead of just sending you to a knowledge article.
0: Got it. And so the idea here is that what you're saying is that you understand the fit of a problem and a problem area to the kind of automation you provide. And when you have a great fit, you can achieve great victories. And when the fit isn't good, you know, you, 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 the victories are, are harder to come by. One of the, the victories, you know, one of the, the characteristics of fit, what you said was volume, meaning like how many times is somebody doing this? If somebody's doing this like once a year, that's not a good candidate for, for no. you know, this type of automation. The other is business impact. And that is, are there cost inefficiencies or, or revenue opportunities available by doing this process better? if it turns out that you know there's really not then it might not be another uh a good fit for this. Well, you you mentioned a third characteristic as well. Um yeah, so if if there is
1: um so obviously there's the ROI and, and and the volume and and all that stuff. The, the third is really that it has to be a use case that is um reasonable to expect that Amelia can actually fulfill. So if you're suddenly choosing something that is even complex for humans to do, it's sometimes very hard for us to gather enough information about the process and and, and build it in a way that can actually be satisfactory. So I'll give um, an example of more kind to the, the first one uh, that I know one of our customers wanted to do. Um, Amelia was being implemented as a service desk agent, and as part of that, obviously resetting passwords, setting up printers, fixing Outlook issues, all those things. One of the things that they wanted her to do as well was whenever people had lost their laptop, and manage that process of of getting certain things uh, set up into security, um, figuring out what what had to happen, maybe even order a new laptop for them. And a problem became that it was so though um uh, uh occurrence that it was was hard to really get enough benefits out of it and also that the the um uh, the complexity of how people lost it and what they needed to do and um was 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 it stolen was it just was it dropped and then they threw it out whatever all these things proved to be a really difficult thing for for us to actually teach amelia about all of the various things so it wasn't a good use case whereas um, password reset is a good use case in general, but it's also very very boring.
0: Got it. And so what was the best refactoring sort of uh, a story that was there because you know, I think it's a very powerful thing to say First layer. Let's do better with the stuff. We do now second layer Let's understand the fit of this to the problems and then third layer is Let's redesign our business uh, and and what I call this is a, like an automation architecture. Let's let's improve the business processes we have with a new automation architecture based on what we know. You know can be done with RPA the way you guys implement it. And do you have any good examples of you know where people said, "Look, we need to really refactor this in a profound way uh, because of what we can do now."
1: Yeah. So I, I think that um, uh, this one is a one that covers a. Uh, A lot of it, um, um, Electronic Arts is is one of our customers and um, last year actually at DWS, they talked a lot about what they had done. Um, They had some issues with um, um, fraud, basically. People calling in and trying to steal accounts um, when other people are calling in very legitimately and saying that they've either forgotten their password or something was wrong with their account or they didn't really buy this product or, or whatever it could be. And so what what we ended up doing with them is saying that uh, the first thing that any agent needs to do is to actually go in and say, I need to validate your identity. But it's a very um, uncomfortable thing for many agents. It's something that you you are just expecting that people are actually truthful and honest. And they may come in, there may be kids screaming in the background that they can't play their games on, on their Xbox or whatever it is and you will just run through some things and actually get uh, get them back up and running, right? So from a human perspective, um, that sometimes is very tricky. So they taught Amelia how to do it by integrating into also back-end systems and running fraud analytics and other types of things. And she actually became better than humans to do that. Now that she had done that, she could hand it off to humans in context so that they knew what it actually was that the, the human wanted to do, and once they'd done those things, they figured out, oh, there's a lot of low hanging fruits that people really don't don't want to deal with, and and they said, okay, so now Amelia can do some of these things as well, whether or not it is uh, putting some charges back on a credit card or or um, uh, fixing a problem with a with certain things that were acquired or bought or or passwords or accounts or whatever it could be. And, and obviously she could do troubleshooting as well. But once they did that, their major benefit was that now their agents could actually spend more quality time with some of their players because their number one uh, reason for implementing this technology was not to reduce costs. It was to give a much better service to their players. So they were able to... Um, free a lot of these agents up, especially when there were uh, high volume calls coming in, and thereby they could spend a lot more time with their players and actually give them a much better service. So it's really about
0: thinking: how can you improve the overall customer service? Got it. And so this is a way; it shows exactly what I wanted to, which was a progression from initial, you know, uh, solution to expansion into new ways, and also. You know changing the automation architecture you know introducing more automation um, yeah. uh, are there any other challenges that that people have besides fit you know uh, in, like one of the things I, I mentioned earlier was you know managing the faster pace of innovation uh, do Does that come up as a challenge for some of your your more mature customers yeah I, I think that they
1: um, uh, they eventually realize what they can uh, can use the technology for and then um, projects grow and become very uh, a lot bigger now, I would also say sometimes we have um, obviously security uh, making sure that Amelia has access to all the uh, various systems that she needs to do to get access to can sometimes be, be stumbling project uh, um, things in projects um, but but overall, I think that the the uh, the impact that we're seeing is where people are really rethinking some of these things. We have a lot of exciting things going on in uh, the medical space um, where um, potentially doctors are, are using Amelia to, to operate applications that they need to operate um, when, when they're actually doing surgery or, or, or other things. And so there's a whole uh, thing that I think we're going to change with this new semantic way of actually going in and, and um, um, working with applications or with systems in general uh, where you can be hands-free. Just imagine somebody, uh, not necessarily a surgeon, but somebody in the field trying to actually fix uh, certain things and somebody in technology like Amelia really guiding them through um, how to do these various things so that when new new people come onto the job, they can go and ask and they can
0: actually get answers uh, in, in ways that weren't even possible before. Got it. Well, this has been a really good wide-ranging conversation about lots of inter- interesting stuff, and I think we'll get some really good stories out of it. Um, and uh, Alan, I really appreciate your time uh, and, and, and joining the Designing Enterprise Platforms uh, podcast here at Early Adopter Research. Anybody who wants to find out more about what we're doing at Early Adopter Research, please go to earlyadopter.com. Uh, My name is Dan Woods. You can find me on Twitter at DanWoodsEarly. And you can find Early Adopter Research on Twitter at EarlyAdopterEar, E-A-R. Uh, And uh, look forward to hearing from everybody about this and writing more. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you.